gracious. Good to see everybody. We're uh, going to be in 1 Corinthians yet again. If you're just joining us or haven't been here for a while, we, uh, we just kind of pick books and go all the way through them. I think the context is helpful. It's been a joy to preach through, and I think we get a chance to cover the full uh, spectrum of what's in God's Word. So if you've uh, seen a couple of these, you're like, man, it seems like they're just going right through the book in order. Yes, it's exactly what we're doing. So today we're in 1 Corinthians. What's interesting is uh, I've uh, heard the 1 Corinthians 7 talked about before. It gets cited a lot when it comes to marriage, and that's great. But when we hear it in context of what Paul was just talking about and where Mike's going to be going next week, it's interesting how marriage kind of intersperses itself, the, some of the principles, with what we see on uh, sexual immorality ahead of this and then being a widow or a widower after this. So stay tuned next week for that, that chunk. But it's, uh, it's great, I think, to see all this in context. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians 7 today. The title of the sermon is Marriage is Work, like a question mark. And I think those of us maybe that have been married for a while would say, well, yeah, I mean, you know, who's surprised by that? But I think a lot of this notion is that marriage is just a wonderful panacea of love and happiness and there's only joy, never end fighting and no strife. And uh, you don't need to really work for it. It's just all going to fall into place. It's just a blessing. Everything about it, 100% ease, not necessarily the case. But let's read together. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not as a command, I say this. I wish that all were as, as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion." To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, he, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Oop. And uh, proclaim crash. Get, just a quick second here. <laughs> Never, ever a dull moment. Well, I tell you, I don't think I've ever had a crash mid. <clears throat> oh, wait, did I, did I skip ahead? Wait a second. This is, aha, as I was saying, <laughs> 
For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which, all, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of this call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the, tall of it, at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a lot going on here in this passage. Uh, marriage and, and uh, being enslaved and uh, who belongs to whom and who do we ultimately serve, Lord. And this can get to be very confusing. And in a, in a world where there's a lot of noise surrounding relationships and love and what all that means, Lord, um, I pray that your word will speak clearly and concisely today uh, about what marriage is intended to be in your eyes, what it's in, intended to, in some regards, mimic. And so that as we counsel one another, we participate and engage in our own marriages, or maybe seek to renew them in some regards, Lord, that we can do that in a right way, not to try to decide for ourselves or listen to maybe what the world is suggesting about what a marriage should be or how a married couple should act or uh, maybe a couple that's in courtship moving towards marriage, what's expected of them and how they, they should do things. Lord, help us to get, gain the, the wisest of counsel um, from your word. Thank you for this time of study together. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, so to kick it off, marriage advice from a single guy, not me, but Paul, right? I know, right? It seems maybe a little bit antithetical, but remember, Paul's words are God-breathed, so this is Holy Scripture. So Paul wrote this, 100% he did, but the Holy Spirit is 100% involved in that. It's mysterious how this has come to be. And what we see is Paul, despite not being married, has great wisdom based on, lo and behold, the Word of God. Uh, we have this real problem in society today in general that if you, if you can't experience it or haven't experienced it yourself, you don't get to have an opinion. Um, and I, don't, I think that's silly in some regards. Granted, maybe making a decision for somebody else in their entirety uh, based on a perspective that I don't fully understand, uh, an, an uninformed uh, opinion, probably should get itself informed. But in this case, what we hear is, is Paul's not just waxing philosophical about what he thinks marriage should be. He's saying, here's what the Lord is saying about marriage. That's much different than here's what I think. He even makes it clear there's a couple things here that are Paul's opinions based on what the Word says. But now it's been canonized, so even we know that, that Paul's opinions here are indeed the opinions of the Lord. So it's, it's the direction he chose is not what most expect. Maybe not today, but certainly not in these times, right? There has been a lot of, of discussion in the church about matters of marriage and sexuality, and they're probably expecting Paul to maybe take a stricter, more traditionally Jewish viewpoint, but in some regards he doesn't. And I'm sure that uh, it's not a coincidence here that the marriage is handled right after he's talking about all the sexual immorality stuff, right? So we just spent a, a long while talking about all the bad behavior, and now he's transitioning into marriage, which is God's conduit for sexuality. 
the place, the relationship in which sexuality is not immoral. Uh, and this is a, a good thing. So, you know, Paul just kind of jumps right in. Now, concerning the matters, <laughs> concerning the matters about which you wrote, that's how he starts the letter. So clearly, they've brought this up. They've mentioned something in the letter about this issue, about sex and how this needs to work. Some were teaching that celibacy was preferred. That's the, kind of the origination here, right? This doctrine of man was extending even to married people. So the, the mucky mucks in the church here were saying, listen, sex, sexual immorality is bad, and sexual immorality comes from just being sexual in general. So we're just not going to have any sex with anybody. I don't care if you're married or not. All men will be celibate. That's how we're going to do it. And Paul wants to set the record straight. <clears throat> that's not a good idea. <laughs> it's not just not a good idea. That's a bad idea. The idea that, that, that by being celibate, sex would be, sexual thoughts and immorality would be quelled is not true. Uh, as a matter of fact, marriage is an outlet for all of these behaviors the way it's supposed to be constructed. And that's the point that Paul's going to make. So to each their own here, right? Sexual immorality is terrible to contend with. And God gave us marriage as a proper way to enjoy sexuality. But it's not a one-way street. A lot of times you'll hear, you know, the, the, all these verses, a little snippet comes out, and they'll say, listen here, it says, look, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Wives, your body's not your own. Well, in full context, what we see here is Paul's talking to both husbands and wives. This is not some domineering thing. The whole point of the Scripture is not an over-approach, like, he said, so you have to. The approach here, if we read the Scripture in context, is Paul wrote, so I have to. This isn't about taking, a, taking Paul's words as a club. It's about taking Paul's words into the heart and saying, wow, I have something that I can do differently. There's, a, there's an approach for me. And, and you'll read the same words and there'll be an approach for you. Husbands and wives are to serve each other. So Christian marriage in a nutshell, husbands surrender their bodily rights to their wives. Wives surrender their bodily rights to their husbands. Do not, quote, deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement. And Paul says, limit this time apart because self-control is an issue. Now, if there are words, you know, people talk about the Bible being relevant or whatever else, but <laughs> this is pretty relevant in today's world, right? People start to make really bad decisions if they have a strong desire and they can't stop thinking about it and there's no outlet for it. Eventually, addiction wins or any of these sorts of things. It's really, 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 really difficult to contend with things like that yourself, especially when it comes to sexual immorality. And what Paul's saying here is in a marriage, if you surrender to one another, then your desire is to meet those needs for one another, to try to help one another avoid the temptations of sexual immorality. Now, if anybody wants to go into a much more in-depth conversation about sexuality and marriage, that's fine. It's a sermon. We're not going to get into all the details. But suffice to say, nor does Paul here, that there's, a, there's an approach here that's much more of a servant attitude. It's not about getting what you deserve. It's not about I have needs. It's about I have, I'm going to serve you and you have needs. Let's figure that out together. It's not black and white. It's not here's what everybody's going to do. Here's how it's going to work for everybody. But it's about starting that conversation. Now, Paul also knows he hasn't followed this advice, right? He's not married. So people can logically raise their hand and say, hey, Mr. Sexual Immorality, flee from it. Uh, what's going on, right? You're telling me it's not a problem? Paul concedes that he kind of wishes everybody was single. But he also concedes that his success in being single is a gift from God. 
I find this really striking because most of us, I think, hold Paul in very high esteem. Uh, and we lose sight of the fact that he's just a guy. And he's talking about here that, yeah, I wish everybody was, was single like me and didn't have to necessarily contend with some of the, the things of marriage and this, that, and the other. I kind of more time dedicated to God. But not everybody can pull that off because sexual immorality as a temptation is so tough. But it's not because Paul's intrinsically strong. It's because there's been grace from God given to him. Paul's not good at being single. He's blessed with that ability. He gives all credit to God. But the sum total is if you're not married, if you're a widow, you're a widower, single's good. There's nothing wrong with being single. What Paul's saying is not, you better get married or else, but he's saying, if you've got some, some specific uh, you know, urges and desires and you're having a really tough time keeping control of those, marriage might be a good option for you. And so if you can't take the heat, get out of the singles kitchen, right? Singles, great. Not a thing wrong with that. But if it's something where, I mean, it's pretty cut and dried. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. That's not given, that's not a, a statement that is, is, is given to um, men. <laughs> Guys, if you can't, just can't turn that switch off, go find your wife. It's given to men and women. Men, women, if you are unbelievably smitten you cannot come to grips with this through wise counsel, through prayer, all that kind of stuff. It's better to marry. Fighting lust every minute of the day is not worth it. You will lose the fight eventually. Paul just preached on this last week. This is not something. we got to flee from sexual immorality. But the, the beauty of this, the grace here, is that God gave us a construct, marriage, in which we can enjoy that. We can participate in that sexuality completely. So you see him here talking as we move through to, to two types of married people. In verse 10, just for the sake of reference, he says, to the married, I give this charge. The married, in this case, are going to be both believers. Now, remember, he's writing a letter to a church that's existence, right? It, it is existence. So if you're married and you're both believers, if we boil that down, it's basically avoid divorce. That's for both of you. Husbands don't divorce your wives. Wives don't divorce your husbands. If you're both believers and you're married, work that out. Make a go of it. Take the time. Put the effort in. Marriage is work? Yes, it is. There's going to be great times when all the, all the cylinders are firing, not just sexually, but everywhere. And you're like, man, this marriage is great. Then there are other times you're like, I've made the worst mistake of my life. What have I done? Paul was right. A long single was better. I blew it. I can't stand this idiot, and I don't want to see him, right? This is the way it goes in all things, but especially when it comes to marriages. But divorcing because of a, a brief change of heart or because it's been a few years or I see somebody new that I'm lusting with passion after and Paul said it's better to marry than to burn with passion so I need to divorce you so I could then marry. I'm really just fulfilling God's word. No, we're not supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be investing in our marriage and, and working in our marriage. If we serve one another in marriage, even when I become annoyed or bothered by my spouse, I surrender to that. They, that we are one flesh I will surrender myself and serve them, bodily, however it takes, mentally, the whole nine yards. I'm here to serve them. That's the commitment I made. I'm going to work through it. If their attitude is the same, great. It becomes a little bit easier to mend those fences. But even when there is a, a, a big difference in opinion, there's still something to work through. Believers should understand what marriage is and not be selfish. In verse 12, the rest refers to couples with only one believer. So it sounds like the married and the unmarried. Well, the married are two believers. And then we see down in verse 12, he mentions 
To the rest I say, and this is Paul talking about God's sovereignty. Paul is well aware of God's sovereignty. And now what he's talking about is you're in a marriage and one of you has come to belief. You were married. Neither of you believed. One of you has now begun a, a, a serving Christ with your life. You've made a commitment of faith, right? You've said, I believe that this is Jesus Christ. It was real. He was who he said he is. Now I've got a marriage. One person believes. Guys, if you're unbelieving wife, so guy, I believe, your wife will stay, stay with her. Gals, if you're an unbelieving husband, will stay, stay. Now you're probably wondering why I'm mentioning guys and gals over and over again. I want that to be very clear. These commands are given for both. Marriage is a participatory act with both people. If a, if, if, a, if a man comes to Christ and his wife doesn't, Paul's advice is stay with her. Witness to her. Share the love of Christ with her. Serve her. Maybe better than you've ever served her before. She'll see a change in you. Maybe that will lead her to Christ. Your witness could be the impact that's needed for her salvation. Same with ladies. Ladies has an... You, hey, I... I I went to a women's conference and was just blown away by the truth of the, of the Scripture. It changed my life. I gave my life to Christ. I go home. If your husband will stay with you, stay with him. Pray for him. Serve him. Show him the love of Christ. Your families are made holy by your faith, even your kids. These are Paul's words, not mine. There's something unique about a single member coming to Christ that changes the family dynamic in the Lord's eyes. If we believe that and we act that out, things can happen. Change can happen. People can come to Christ. I'm not saying they will. 100% guarantee. We don't have that kind of luxury. But we serve as a witness. However, if the unbelieving spouse leaves, that's acceptable. If the other person says, I don't want anything to do with church. I'm out of here. It's over. Forget it. I'll never be married to a Christian. You know, I've had really bad experiences with that. And they leave. Okay. Right? Not much you're going to be able to do about it. They've abandoned the marriage. So be it. But if you, what Paul's trying to, 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 to get out of the, to, to, to make very clear is, I've come to Christ, you don't believe, I want a divorce. That's not the approach. I came to Christ, and the other person says, well, I don't believe, and I want a divorce. Okay, I understand, right? I'm saddened by that. I want to make the marriage work. I want to make this go. But if you refuse, I'm not going to hold you hostage. I'm not going to do that. Wives, you may be the key to your husband's salvation. Husband, you may be the key to your wife's salvation. There it is again. I broke it up. Why? Because Paul did. We're both, there's a, an equal opportunity here. A saved wife can, save her, can, can be a part in saving her husband. And likewise, a saved husband can be a huge part in saving his wife. Now, this is a different command than so-called missionary dating. That's a term that's used for Christians that are going to go out there and save people by dating them. Oh, he doesn't believe, or she doesn't believe, but I really like them, and I've got some burning passion happening here. So what I'm going to do is start a relationship, maybe transition that into marriage, then we'll work on salvation, because at that point I fall into this commandment from Paul. No. This is specifically addressed as, you're married, one person came to belief, now what do we do? We are not called to wed to save. But if we are wed, we may yet save. Big difference. I'm in a marriage. I'm committed. My life has been changed by Jesus. I want to save my family because I love them. I've committed to her in marriage already. And that commitment didn't change because of my, my new salvation. It's different. I now want her to live forever like me, but I still love her and I want to care for her. That's much different than she's awful pretty. 
She's not a believer, but that's okay. I'll just, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll weave salvation in here with our, our, our courtship and maybe it'll all stick. <clears throat> After this part, it seems like maybe Paul's pivoting. The Bible will, will change, transition it over to a section called like live, live, <coughs> pardon me, live as you are called. But to me, I think what Paul's doing is justifying this prior statement. God has put you where you are, in your station in life, in your, the city in which you live. And Paul's prior point is in your marriage that was not, had no God mentioned prior to this. Even before I decreed that God was sovereign and that Jesus is the Lord of my life, God was still sovereign over my life. That never changed. God didn't suddenly get involved with me because I gave my life to Christ. I suddenly got involved with God. That's different. God's always been there. So if you think about the notion of marriage and the marriage that you've been in, the life you're in, the job you're in, the city, the family, all of these things, God has put you there. He has put you there. You didn't stumble around and God's shuffling through paper trying to figure out where you got off to. It's not like that. God knows. Many people will try to put new rules around this kind of an idea requiring you to join. Well, you're over here. Uh, you were married before. Uh, not a Christian marriage, but, uh, and uh, you know, you're not a member of our church, so we've got a whole bunch of things you're going to need to do to become a Christian. You're going to need to you know, you got to get your wife baptized, first of all. We got to get your kids in Sunday school. We got to get you over here. You need to get a suit and tie. There's a million things. Paul is trying to say that all of this stuff is nonsense. You don't need to change where you are, what you're doing, in order to be a Christian. Regardless of how you got there, you're there. God has saved you and will use you immediately. Where you are. Circumcision again, right? It seems, like, it seems like maybe every other chapter or something it seems to come up. Well, it was a big issue. Circumcision was huge in Jewish culture, and obviously Paul is trying to address this, right? Which is, there's these latent effects of, hey, we always did this before, we probably should still do it. Still do it. And then the other side says, oh yeah, well, we'll never do it. Matter of fact, I want to undo it. I don't know. I'm going to, I don't know. I don't know how you'd even go approach that, especially in the old days, but I guess plastic surgery of some sort, I don't know. But anything to divide people into groups, right? That's what Paul's getting at. Everybody just wants to fight all the time, and he's getting tired of it. It seems like every time in our small group, it comes down to, we're talking today about factions and divisions and, and, and camps forming up over every little thing. Cut, uncut, let's stop worrying about this and focus on the mission. Stop trying to undo your circumcision and wasting breath on that. Stop trying to force people to get circumcised. That's not what we're here to do. We should remain in whatever condition we were called. Where God called you to him, that he knew you were there when he did that. So you could go right now and serve right now. You don't need to go and move to this or take a pilgrimage or jump through a bunch of hoops and then begin your service. It's good to go right away. Now, to be clear, we're called to live changed lives. Do not remain in sin. Some of these words like Paul's, hey, serve where you are. That's great. Say, well, great. You know, I'm in the midst of all this sinful activity. I deal drugs and I, uh, you know, I'm a kingpin in a big empire. So I'm just going to keep going because God's going to use me to save people inside this drug ring. No, get away from sin. Stop sinning. Now, I'm not saying God won't use you to save people in the drug ring, but he won't do that through active sin. God is not going to take your sin and say, well, I believe, but I'm going to continue to sin as a witness. Uh, Does not work out. It does not work out. 
We are called to do everything. So we're called to live changed lives, but we're not called to do everything in the, the same in little holy huddles. And this is a real, I don't know, it's a problem in today's world. There's a problem there too. Hey, everybody, here's what it looks like when we go to church. Great, let's all do that. We're all going to do the exactly sing the exact same songs with the exact same words. We're all going to get the same job. We're going to live in the same community. We're going to drive the same cars. Uh, and we, we end up walling ourselves up from the world. And, oh, I became a Christian. I moved to the commune. I joined that church, and now all I do is that church stuff. I don't reach out anymore. I'm completely consumed with things of the church, and there's really no part of outreach. Paul uses an extreme example of a slave coming to faith. I'm a slave, and I come to faith. Well, now what? i got to get free. i got to go share the world. And Paul says, if you can get free, do it. But if not, serve there, knowing that you're already free in God. Oh, I'm a slave, but I believe, and I can't get free. That's fine. Witness to the other slaves. You're not in sin. Now, if you were a slaveholder and you had slaves and you came to Christ, free your slaves. That's the right thing to do. Keeping your slaves would keep you in sin. But he's not talking about that. He's saying you are a slave, and if you're able to get free, great. But if not, you might be able to witness to the, to the, to the master and, and get, save him and other slaves at the same time. Who knows? But know in your mind you're already free. God has already done the work. And Paul wraps all this up with a reminder saying that those who are slaves are free in the Lord and those who are free are slaves to Christ. Those of us that have never been in chains are slaves to Christ by our own choice. It's not a cheap grace, so don't enslave yourselves to the world and where God has put you, serve well. Seems pretty straightforward. Let's talk about five key things that we take away from this. Married folks need to serve each other's physical needs. Single folks are awesome so long as temptation is not rampant. If both married folks believe your commitment is forever, if mixed belief, for mixed belief marriages, your steadfastness is a witness. And then finally, God has you where he wants you. So I've heard a lot of, to talk a little bit about my experience in this, hearing people preach about sex and marriage, I've heard a lot of really cringy sermons where people are, are trying to make Christian marriages look like the best kind of marriages, right? Like, that, like we want to be braggadocious or, or like our sex lives are incredible, right? Because God's ordained it and we're allowed to. And it's nuts. In an effort to appeal to the world that's crazed over sex that, hey, just come over here and get into Christian marriage and the sky's the limit. I mean, you can do whatever you want. It's just, it's absolute anarchy, right? And it's great because God blessed it. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what Paul's saying. This isn't a free-for-all. It's not like because I punched my ticket and I signed on the dotted line and I'm married, that now I can be completely selfish and, and, and demand all these things to happen sexually. That's not the goal here. It's a service mindset. But what Paul's saying is sex is a part of humanity. It's not the important part, but it's an important part. And Paul makes that very clear. Temptation begins to simmer if we leave it unchecked. So if we ignore it, right? What's interesting about Christianity and sex is that prior to marriage, it is like, y'all, knock it off. I don't even want to talk. I don't even want you thinking about it. It's so bad, you'll die. You know, there's a funny clip on the internet. It's like, I'm thinking about having sex. And he's like, well, be prepared to die. That's her answer. Well, that's, what do you mean be prepared to die? Well, you could get a disease and it could run rampant. You know, syphilis does kill people. These are the things that I grew up with. This, 
But then somehow, magically, you go through marriage, and I'm just going to wash all that away. And all this terror and tyranny over the dangers of sexuality and the specter in the room. Sexuality is a gift from God. It's the means by which we are fruitful and multiply. What God has described for us is a construct in which it is great. But the construct is still based off of service. It's still based off Christ as Lord, not us. I don't get married and then I take the reins back and say, good, finally, I'm going to indulge all these these fantasies of my mind. Uh, That's not what we're supposed to be doing here. Sex is important, yes, but it's not the most important. But if we ignore it completely and we keep it at bay and we say it's so scary and I'm afraid if I... If I, if I dabble in that, then I'm going to unlock a, uh, open a Pandora's box of nightmares and I'll be thrust headlong into sexual immorality. What we see is the opposite of that. That's a lie. Temptation begins to simmer if we don't do anything. If we just completely are inert and we don't participate, we don't serve one another, then eyes begin to wander, bad decisions are made, marriages fall apart. Lapses in physicality are fine. It's not like there's a schedule that Paul dictates. That's for you to work out with your spouse. But if you serve one another, if you really say, hey, I surrender my bodily autonomy to you and I to you likewise, great. Let's talk. Let's talk about what that means. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What are your desires? Well, yeah, maybe I have some desires, but my big desire is just to make sure you're happy. Well, you know, what would make me happy is to make you happy. Starting from a place like that, you end up with a much more humble experience. It's not about getting what you want. It's about serving one another. But make no mistake, we are built to reproduce. The sexual immorality, the temptations that are coming, the wiring on our brain when we see and we're attracted, that's all there with intent. God knows we are supposed to create. We're supposed to reproduce. So those things are something that are part of our biology. Granted, they're being accentuated by the world in a crazy way, but the only reason that works is because, you know, you you see people wearing revealing clothing. What are they revealing? The things that we all know cause lust to rise. That's what you're revealing. No one complains about somebody saying, hey, I can, I mean, let's say around here, I can see your whole wrist. Good gravy. You know, nice ankles. Good. You know, who let her in here? That doesn't happen very often. But the pendulum keeps swinging. Now, you go to other places in the world, you're going to get that. But, but around these parts, we kind of know. There's a senator that said, I, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. That's how temptation works. So yes, we're built for that. Eyes see things and, and the body reacts chemically. And, and Paul's saying, I know, I know how it goes. If you can't handle it, get married. But if you are married, work on that together so that it's easier for both of you. What's the penultimate goal? A great sex life? No, glorifying God. That's the goal. Paul's not describing sex as a wonderful thing that you can use to just really go, go crazy with it and this absolute hedonistic maximum pleasure. No. It's use that as a tool to keep temptation at bay so that you can serve the Lord more fully without being distracted. Right? That's the goal. Single folks, awesome so long as temptation is not rampant. I personally have tremendous respect for the unwed. Uh, but Paul's no exception. But peace in being single comes from God. Don't let anybody tell you differently. It's not about self-construction. It's not about great things and averting your eyes. You could do that, but God's the one that's going to make that change. But if you're single, don't be surprised if a sudden, quote, burning crops up. I'm not talking about the kind you need to go see a doctor about. I'm talking about the kind where I can't stop thinking about this person. Things were going great for me as a single person. And then I met somebody. And... The last thing I think of when I put my head on the pillow, first thing I think of when I 
take my head off the pillow 15, 20 times a day. I can't stop thinking about them. You know, there's a, there's a really strong desire here. In that case, moving from single to wed is great. There's nothing wrong with getting married because you're struggling thinking about somebody that you can't stop thinking about. <laughs> Paul describes this as a reason to get married. Fine. But know that when you get married, what you're doing is making a commitment to that person. You're saying, I struggle so much with this that I'm willing to commit to you for life. That's how serious of a, of a, of a burning this is. That's how deep in my soul I feel connected to you. It's not, hey, you know, you're real pretty. Let's get married so that we can do all this fun stuff that the Bible talked about. But then, you know, after a while, we'll see how it goes from there. Oh, no, no, no. Before you step into those shoes, you're like, man, you know, how burning is it? Is it really burning? Or is, am I gonna, is it everybody I see I feel burned for? Well, that's something you need to be working on with God. You clearly can't marry everybody. But you need to make these, these things a priority. And, and Paul's point here is until it becomes a problem, stay single. That's great. But if it does, no sweat. Now, if you're in a marriage and both of you believe, your commitment's forever. I'd say it should be obvious, but it doesn't appear to be. This was clearly a problem then. People want what they want. I was married, but I'm tired of it. I'm out of here. It's a problem now. We want what's best for us, and we deserve better, right? I don't need this. Life's too short to be with somebody that doesn't love me or whatever. Whatever we got to tell ourselves. But I want to be very clear. Abuse is not okay under any circumstance. None of this charge here about staying with people, witnessing to them, is preeminent in a situation where somebody has turned the marriage into an abusive relationship. That is abandonment, in my opinion. If I begin to beat my wife, I've abandoned her. My duty as a, as a husband has been vacated. No husband should beat their wife, period. I've abandoned that duty. She should get out. Find safety. Work, work through that. Whatever protocol that may take. But we, we don't see Paul calling for that here either. I want to be very clear. Paul's not saying, I don't care what he does. You stay. I don't care how she treats you. You stick it out. No. Abuse is not okay. That commitment is forever. But there's a commitment. Just like forgiveness. It requires two parties. I could forgive Mike for doing something. But if I never tell him about it, if I never say, hey, I want you to know that I'm forgiving you because of this thing that you did that really hurt me, he may not even know that I was hurt. He may never have an opportunity to say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Likewise, if I'm abusing, abusing my wife physically, that was maybe somewhat obvious, putting hands on, but mentally or whatever else, and, and she forgives me and doesn't say anything to me, then I don't get an opportunity to say, I need to grow from this. I didn't even realize. I am so sorry. Now, we've all heard this stuff before. Oh, it'll happen again. It'll happen again. That couldn't be the case. Could just be that that person's a monster and they can never get it. But if you have two married people and they are both in Christ, the goal here would be to reconcile. Maybe, just maybe, it can be made right. Then again, perhaps not. But to be clear, there's no charge by me or anybody uh, that I think is in, in the right here to say, well, as an abused spouse, you know, you have a duty to them still. That's a choice for you to make. I know a guy whose, whose mother stayed with his abusive, drunken uh, stepfather, or his, his, his father at the time, who eventually came to Christ, was a drunk and abusive, and she stayed, she threatened to leave a bunch, never did, and after like 20 years came to Christ. Is that the model for all marriages? No. Why? It's not in the Bible. We don't see that in the Bible as the way to do it. There's an example of one that worked out. 
But there's plenty of others where maybe it didn't work out so happily. So the answer here is yes. If you want to, if you want to stick it out and witness it, great. But if somebody turns the uh, turns into an turns the marriage into an abusive relationship, um, that's abandonment. Now for mixed belief marriages, your steadfastness is a witness. So. You know, we're, we're talking to other people, we bump into folks. This is a specific target, once again, to couples that were wed prior to either becoming a believer. So if you're talking to some friends and, and one of them gets saved, and like, we don't know what to do. You know, he hates church, he thinks it's a joke, and I don't know what to do about that. Um, well, the idea here is, well, you, you can be steadfast in your marriage and be a witness. Continue to serve them, serve them better. Different priority, different perspective. But a believer should not target an unbeliever for a spouse. So if you're not married... But you're a believer, you want to be targeting a believer, right? That's described in other chapters being unequally yoked and things like that. But you'll be serving two different things from the get-go. And you shouldn't want to do that from the start. Now, things are different if you're already married. And Paul knows this. And, and the church in this time was very mission-oriented. And they were witnessing the couples that knew nothing about Jesus. And one of them was really struck and saved. And this was a real problem as we got, you know, maybe half the people in the congregation are married to people who don't believe right now. What do we do? And Paul says, well, you'll have to decide. But if you want my advice, the believer should stick it out and, and witness to that other person as long as they'll stay. But if they go, they go, right? We're not going to hold them hostage. So-called missionary dating is typically a disaster. You're going to find maybe one out of every 500 cases where it really worked out great. More times than not, the person that was trying to save somebody else by dating them is using that as a cover because they really just want to date them. They find them physically attractive or mentally exciting, and they're going to overlook the fact that they're not saved despite me claiming to be saved. And so I'm going to start this up, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to invite him to Bible studies. Well, the other side of this is the, the other person, if they share the same feelings, we're probably going to go along with whatever you say. You want to get baptized? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Whatever you say. I want to come to church with me. Okay. Anything to spend time with you? We're going to go on a retreat. I want to go too. Right? Do you believe anything? I believe I love you. I think I do, right? And it's all of a sudden, it's like, well, they went through all the things. And then one day, it's like, I don't love you anymore, and I'm out of here. Like, but I thought we were, you know, going to get married and, and start a small church together or something. Like, ah, I didn't mean any of that. You know, I just like hanging out with you. That's the, the, the more normal outcome, right? Is, yeah, we'll say whatever we got to say, and we'll do whatever we, well, we got to convince ourselves that this is an okay thing. But if you come to belief and you're in a marriage, you may be the tool God uses to save. That's an awesome uh, potential. <laughs> I mean, you're in a marriage, you come to Jesus, and this person might be way outside. They may be living a lifestyle you're trying to get away from. And I, man, I can't be going to those places anymore. <clears throat> well, then I'm not going to go. I'm not going to sin with you anymore. But I'm not going to leave you. And there's a chance that that person's going to be like, I can't believe this. You don't want to do any of the stuff I want to do, but you still want to be with me. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I still love you. Still commit to that. But I can't participate in those things. You know, I got a higher calling. But I want you to know the truth, too. Stuff like that changes lives. And lastly here, God has you where he wants you. Make no mistake, we should do logical things to improve our status. You know, the, 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 the hyper bad example of this would be, well, you know, I, never, I didn't, wasn't born knowing how to read, so I don't want to know how to read. But God has me where he wants me, illiterate. No. Take steps. Take steps to better yourself. Reasonable steps. But it, we shouldn't fret our positions in life or our past choices. 
to look at where we are today based on all the stuff that led us to Christ and, and view that as a judgment or some mechanism by which we are less than or incapable of is not good. We should trust that God is sovereign, sovereign, in charge of everything, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. Nothing gets by God. He was not caught off guard by our belief, and he will use us. As I mentioned before, it's not like a, you know, a, 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 there's a ticker up there, and it's like, dee, 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 like Chris Eacock came to salvation, and God's like, you're kidding me, him? <sighs> I didn't see that coming. Hold on, I've got to figure out where he is and who he's talking to. That's not the case. That is not the case. The moment I said to Jesus... You are who you say you are. I wanna, I'm going to spend eternity with you. God's like, all right, there's that. Knew that day was coming. Whoop, done. I mean, I changed his heart for Pete's sake. He wouldn't have believed if it wasn't for me starting this whole process. So, hey, guys, we did it. Another one down. Card punched. Next. Now, where I've got him, let's get to business. He's got my word. He's going to read the word. He's going to understand that he can be active right away, right where he is. Let's avoid some sin, but start serving immediately. There's no post-salvation steps that are required in order to be an effective Christian where you are. You don't need to move. You don't need to be at a certain job or another or be married or be single. Where you are is where God has you. You have come to belief. Try to get the sin away as much as you can. Repent of all that stuff, but everything else, let's get it done. Let's get it done. So call to action for today. Married believers, talk about your love life. I'm not going to give you a list of like, here's what you got to do, right? When we talk about sex and marriage, it it, it looks like this and it acts like this. It's not how it's going to be. Communicate. Talk about that. Somebody's struggling with some temptation. Do we need to to discuss that? How can we serve each other better, right? Are Are we fatigued? Are we tired of going through the motions and trying to make sex something that it's not? Have we elevated to something that should never have been in our marriage? Has it become an idol, more so than God? Single believers, stay the course if you should be seaworthy, right? So if you can maintain single life and not bash into the rocks of temptation, then good. If not, pull into port, if you know what I mean, right? That's fine. Get married and, and, and be done with it. Rather than to spend your whole life struggling and fighting temptation, and every day you wake up and just over and over and over and over and over until you go to bed at night. Then you feel like I'm a sinner and I'm useless and I can't stop these feelings and these thoughts. That's not what God intends. I know it's not what God intends because Paul says in the Bible, it's better to marry than to burn with desire. If you're burning with desire and you're struggling in this rampant sin cycle of I just, I sin, I lust and then I sin and I just, but I want to be single. I want to serve. Maybe it's better to just say, all right, maybe I'll be open to marriage. And if, if that be the case, then I'm going to maybe start a relationship and we'll see where it goes from here. You might be surprised at how God's going to use a decision like that based on what the Bible says to change your life for the better. If you're a new believer, trust that God will use you where you are, especially in your marriage. I've met a lot of folks that have come to Christ and their marriage was not a Christian marriage, and they fell away from the church after a while because it was too difficult. Right? They didn't understand what to do. There wasn't a lot of clear guidance. It was, well, if you want to stay, stay, and you know, got to be good. Invite your husband, invite your husband, invite your, invite your wife, invite your wife, invite your wife. Where are your kids? Where are your kids? Where are your kids? Where are your kids? Well, you don't know where my kids are. They're at home with their dad who doesn't come to church, or they're staying with their mom this weekend who's left me because uh, she can't believe I'm doing this church thing. Well, us as a congregation need to understand that this sort of thing will happen. There's wise counsel here. But the, the benefit of the church is we can do all this together. 
We can pray together. We can study together. We can come up with plans together. Understand better ways to approach things. Serve one another. And if you're a non-believer, today's your day for a new start with an awesome God. So if I'm talking about all this stuff, you're like, this all sounds all right, but man, it's too far. I don't even know where to begin. Here's where you begin. Today you begin. You can work from the bottom of this list right up into, you know, use, you say today, I'm done. I'm done trying to do it my way. Where you are today, God's going to start using you today. Let's pray.